If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> All right, welcome back. We are the Podfellas, and thanks once again for listening to our entertainment podcast. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is Will. What's going on, everybody? Each week, we will provide a film or TV review, followed by a deeper dive into a related topic. Today, we will be discussing the documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, and we will be going through part seven of our 10 over 10 series with a look back at the film Gladiator. Gladiator. Deeper dive, bro. It's deeper <laughs> dive. Wait, are we doing Batman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I need to retire my Batman voice. I know. Are you not entertained? Good. Are you not entertained? <laughs> The question is, are our listeners entertained? That's the deeper question. I hope you're entertained. Uh, <laughs> me too. Okay, anyway, um, so we're going to change things up a little bit, actually. So instead of talking about our lives, we're going to go right into some movie news, and then we'll hold uh, talking about ourselves until the end of this podcast. So first off, one of the things I want to talk about with you, Will, is there is a lot more movie release date juggling. Which sucks for us because, I mean, you and I were both really looking forward to the release of Tenet on July 15th. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, that has been pushed to August 12th. Mulan has been pushed to August 21st. And then Greyhound, the new Tom Hanks movie, will be released only on demand via Apple TV+. So that's cool. You could watch this, you know, in in our homes. But yeah, real bummer about Tenet, man. You know what it is? It's, it's It's the curve going back up. And it's people going out without masks and... You know, and I think protests are important and good, but you know, if people were protesting without masks, then obviously that might have something to do with some of the spikes in the numbers. And all of a sudden, there's this extra fear of going back out, whereas other people that should be scared aren't scared at all. And I think this is really putting a, a hamper personally on my summer. I'm sure it's doing the same to your summer. And so much oh, noise, man. man. So Who knows? much noise. Who knows if like Tenet and Mulan are going to be pushed even further? You know, who knows if any other movies are even going to come out this year? The way things yeah. are going, it, it's really a bummer. You know, I honestly won't be surprised if 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 they do or don't. I'm not going to be surprised about it, just because there's just so much noise, just too much noise. Yeah, what do you mean by so much noise? Like just it's just a lot of information, mm-hmm. data going up and down, people yeah. saying one thing, uh, conspiracies, facts. What mm. is you know, no one can really trust the media, but I think that like we can all concur with that. Like mainstream media has just been, you know, self-gaining. You know, but yeah. um, I mean, I and I and I tell friends uh, where wherever they lean, it's just it's a lot facts more complicated. Yeah. Well, yeah, facts are facts, but it's a lot more complicated than you think, and you you have to dig through so much information, which is the noise in order to really find the facts mm. because what you think is a fact can actually really not be if you haven't really yeah. done your research. And that's where people are just not doing it because it's so much work. It's a lot mm. of work. Yeah. And so. all I know it's just really kind of messing things up for all of us. And I'm sure we just all want this to be over. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I think we've all come to the realization that it's not a nightmare. It is reality. And our way of life is getting kind of messed up as we go. But at least we have streaming. Can you imagine? I think we talked about this. Can you imagine going through this same thing like 10 years ago? I couldn't. I think we'd all be going crazy. Oh, man. I think it was like, I don't know if we can say it was perfect timing for the tech that we have in order for us to keep our minds sane. But 10 years ago, we would all probably just, yeah, like go crazy. (laughs) 
Yeah, so what I'm interested about is I want to see how this is going to affect the Academy Awards at the beginning of next year. Because as of this point, if you think kind of see what's come out so far, Bad Boys 3 is the number one movie in the world. And it made, I think, about, uh, around $200 million domestic. Um, and it did well, you know. But it's like, come on, there are so many more movies that, that should be coming out. And if nothing else comes out, I'm I'm wondering if like <laughs> call call me like ridiculously silly, but what if like Bad Boys Three gets nominated for Best Picture because there are no other movies that came out this year? I think they should you just know. honestly, and it's no, it's it's nothing, you know, to disrespect Bad Boys Three or any movie that was yeah, able love, to be it. out, but just to not really, I mean, basically kind of wash it over. Like this this year, it's just it just didn't work out. Yeah, just That's no Academy opinion. Awards this year. No just Academy like Awards. Yeah, honestly, like it just didn't work out. Sorry, guys. You know. Yeah. 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 I guess I could. Maybe see we that. could just do. Maybe they just do Academy Awards honorable mentions, kind of like yeah. a little bit of a. <laughs> yeah, there'll be like three movies nominated because there's only three that yeah. cut like favorable Rotten Tomato scores or something. Yeah. 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 So. Funny. Yeah. So uh, before we get to uh, some of the other things at hand, I wanted to also let you all know some of the newer items available for streaming. Um, a movie called, I don't know if you heard of this one yet, Eurovision yes, oh Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, <laughs> starring Will Ferrell, correct me if I'm mistaken, as an Icelandic music singer, and his his uh, counterpart sister. is played by, oh, sister, I think Rachel McAdams. I don't know, it's like me, okay. and my, me and my brother, like she was narrating in the beginning, and I was like, yeah. is that, that can't be Rachel McAdams. I <laughs> was shocked. Yeah. To see I'm going Rachel to watch McAdams. this movie. I'm going to watch I, this movie. I mean, I kept watching the trailer and I thought, no, I can't right now. I just can't. <laughs> I can't. It, it does, yeah. honestly, I mean, just, just right off the bat, I'm sorry. It just doesn't, I really hope it proves me wrong, but it just, the trailer didn't make me laugh. I was just confused and, yeah. and just, yeah, we'll see. You know. I'm going to check it out though, for sure. It's free. Yeah. Because your right, mattress is you know. free. <laughs> and then also is a film called Irresistible starring Steve Carell. And this is uh, written directed by John Stewart, he wow. of the Daily Show fame. So I'm actually really look, looking forward to seeing this. It also stars Rose Byrne, whom I'm a big fan of. So definitely going to check that one out. And this last movie I wanted to kind of bring attention to because, once again, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I want to watch this. Have you seen this yet? The King of Staten Island, directed no, by Jed I, Apatow? No, I've only, I remember just watching the um, interview with, um, mm-hmm. I forgot the lead actor's name. Pete Davidson, yeah. Pete Davidson, yeah, with, uh, I believe, um, Jimmy Fallon, or having just, like, just having an interview about it. So he's really proud of it. Um, and, and Jed Apatow, I think, is pretty proud of it. And they're just really happy, even though they couldn't do a premiere, which is funny too. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> do do just, you know the story about this? So you know how, like, Jed is it Apatow, kind of based on. A based on a true story. Yeah, it's based on his life actually. So I don't know if you know this, but Pete Davidson, Pete Davidson's dad was a firefighter, and he died in nine yeah. eleven. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So he did in, in this interview. film though, yeah, in this film though, to kind of make it less, I guess, less of a parallel, what they did is uh, they basically said he was just fighting a fire and he died, and then the son is not having to cope with that as well as you know all the other things that are going through his life. So I'm really hmm. uh, yeah I'm really looking forward to checking this out. If my son will go to sleep on time one of these days, and if my wife is feeling better, then maybe we can make a, a, a date night on the couch together. But, I mean... <laughs> well, am I just being I'm asked out right that. now? Hmm? You're asking me out on a date right now? What oh, is no, this? no, not, not you. Oh, oh, I was <laughs> you, like, what? My what, wife. What, I mean, I, I, I'm flattered, but you're married. I, I'm sorry, yes. I'm taken. Did I say that incorrectly? 
<laughs> All I heard you say that if your son goes to bed and your wife feels better and, and whatever, I think I might just uh, take you on a date. I don't know. That's what I heard. Is I'm just okay. Saying. I think that's called wishful thinking, Will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so those are some movies that we wanted to highlight, which are all available on streaming now. Also wanted to look at a few future episodes. Next week, we will be reviewing the film Selma and also be taking a look back at the film The Godfather. And our good friend of the podcast, Steve Cheng, will be joining us for that recording. Woo-woo! The week after, we will be reviewing the film Greyhound, starring Tom Hanks. And we'll be pairing that up with a look back at the film Spirited Away. And then after that, we will be reviewing, just like we talked about, The King of Staten Island and pairing that up with Schindler's List. Now, wow. That is a really odd pairing. That, wow. <laughs> that does not belong, but it's okay. And then after that, guess what? We only have one movie left in our 10 yes. over 10 series, which is, do you know? Oh, man. Uh, uh, I have to look it up, too. I got to look it up, yes, because yeah. you already it, kind of... It's The Matrix. I don't know. It is The Matrix. Yeah. Okay. It's The Matrix. I don't know. I, I just looked at all my lists, and I was like, I think we covered all my lists, so <laughs> I don't know which one you had left. Yeah, uh, so it is The Matrix, and then we'll let you all know what we'll be reviewing that week, uh, probably the next coming weeks, maybe even next week. Any thoughts, comments, suggestions on reviews or content, drop us a line at the Podfellas Podcast at gmail.com. Tell your friends about us, please. We love more listeners. We love to be able to let you all know uh, what we're thinking about in terms of what's been coming out these days and just our thoughts on film and TV. So uh, let them know our podcast can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, as well as Spotify. Spread the and word. Now, share the love. Share the love, baby. <laughs> and we have some big changes coming out uh, soon. We are going to be switching to video. So not switching, but adding video onto our audio podcast. So if all goes yes. well, that will be happening soon. And you all get to see our uh, better than average looking faces. At least my wife tells me I look better than average. So that's that's good, I guess. Yeah, but is she like, is that comes with the vows? <laughs> Just kidding. Yes. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Yeah, but no, but she, she she wouldn't say that to my face. But, but now we're going to head into our main review, which is for the film and documentary, I should say. I am not your Negro. Here is a look at the trailer. If any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so there won't be any more like him. The story of the Negro in America is the story of America. It is not a pretty story. Most of the white Americans I've ever encountered surely have nothing whatever against Negroes. That's really not the question. Really encountered apathy and ignorance. You don't know what's happening on the other side of the world because you don't want to know. In America, I was free only in battle, but never free to rest. We need to take action, any kind of action, by any means necessary. They needed us to pick the cotton, and now they don't need us anymore. Now they don't need us, they're going to kill us all off. All right, we are back. That was a look at the trailer for the documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. Here is a brief synopsis. In 1979, James Baldwin wrote a letter to his literary agent describing his next project, Remember This House. The book was to be a revolutionary, personal account of the lives and assassinations of three of his close friends, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. At the time of Baldwin's death in 1987, he left behind only 30 completed pages of the manuscript. 
Filmmaker Raul Peck envisions the book James Baldwin Never Finished, and Samuel L. Jackson plays James Baldwin. Basically, he narrates the story for us. So with this being a documentary, this is actually the first documentary that we are reviewing. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it would be wise to go through this content a little bit differently because it's really not about the quality of the movie. It's what this, you know, this the film, message. this documentary, yeah, the message of it, what it has yeah. to say. So we're only going to talk about the themes that we, um, that we thought were prevalent uh, in the meaning of the film. And also we're going to talk about some of the main quotes and how it made us feel. And we're not going to give this a rating like we would normally do. Our first main talking point here is to describe three major points or themes that you feel this movie is making. Maybe we can just go back and forth, uh, you know, alternating. So Will, uh, why don't you go ahead and start and give us our first one. For me, I kind of saw this animal kingdom complex. And James, and what I mean by that though is that James Baldwin believes that although race is involved, it actually, it's actually the fear and cowardice within white people that makes them blind to the fact that they are just the same as any other human being in this world. Um, they they don't see that when they knock down a man of another color, they are actually knocking down themselves. They are killing themselves. James Baldwin said in an interview with Mavis Nicholson, like, "What you see in other people is what you see in the mirror." What you try to do is isolate whatever you see in the other person, which is you. Every writer knows, like, if you listen to me or I listen to you, no matter what I may be describing, I'm describing myself. Like, the sense of we are all the same. Mm-hmm. So this idea that, that, that you think that you're above the food chain, even though they were the same, there's something that's disconnecting that can't, like, he doesn't, even for him, he's still trying to connect that and understand what is this. And mm-hmm. I, he can't answer that. Like, it's it's the white people. Like, you guys invented this. Right, right. So it sounds like he's basically speaking about white privilege here. Now, it, it's I'm just wondering here. It's like, you know, we all talk about white privilege, and it's it's been a talking point so much in the media lately on social media. But what that really media. means, though, too. Yeah. Like, what yeah. do you mean by white privilege? What does that really mean? You know? Because yeah. I feel like I've heard so many different uh, explanations of people describing it, kind of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like where does it even so, come from? Like, what's yeah? That's the thing here. I feel like what he's saying is that it's almost like you're born with it, because mm. you know, like white people in general, whether coming from Europe, I mean, they have a history of always kind of conquering what they see, a history of imperialism. You know, even with the Native Americans, and then you know, bring African Americans over, and then mm. kind of subjecting them to slavery. It's like yeah. this position of power that they always kind of like kind of place themselves in. What about you? What's your first? theme that you caught well for me one of the things that this movie discusses is that you know although slavery ended in the 1860s and integration mm-hmm. happened roughly about a hundred years later that i think one of the main points the documentary is making is that today in 2020 or when the documentary came out in 2016 that we are not much further along today in terms of racial equality i mean mm-hmm. just look at the juxtaposition of past protests from the 1960s with protests from you know within the last five to ten years, the documentary clearly is saying that you know the stuff that happened, what like what is it, uh, sixty years ago, is happening right now today, hmm. and you know there's comparisons of black men hanging from trees in the 1860s. The documentary compares that with the murder of unarmed blacks by police today. On the outside, we are growing and we are progressing and we are becoming more open-minded. But I think one of the main points that he is really getting at here is that racism will continue to occur and the things that we see will keep happening because Americans aren't addressing the key fundamental problems affecting our hearts. 
they're more concerned with appearing well put together or achieving the American dream and the hypocrisy of wanting a better life for your family and then lynching someone in the streets is put into focus here. And I mean, he talks about it. It's like, it's toxic. This whole idea this of, of achieving your dreams and of being like, you know, rich, white and, and having the house with a picket fence, but not really getting at or solving the hate in your own heart or that desire that makes you want to elevate yourself above others. And yeah, he's very, very clear with it. And it's almost biblical what, what they're talking about here. It's like, you know, don't, I think there was a parable where Jesus said, you know, don't clean the outside of the cup you're drinking from and you know, look at what's mm-hmm. on the inside. And until we do that as a society, I believe what you know, Mr. Baldwin is saying is that, you know, what is happening, what has happened in the past, um, whether in the 1860s, 1960s will continue to happen today. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Yes, that's one of the main points that I picked out. Um, how about yourself? What's your second point? Uh, my, my second point is this idea of evil manipulation and, and a sense of delusion, really. Um, the question that boggles my mind is why the N-word was invented and how society resorted to calling another human being a slave. Mm-hmm. Slaves came here in indebted to no one and should have not ever been called a piece right, of property completely. you know what i mean yeah and and that is what james baldwin i i hear him saying repetitively throughout the documentary is like why what is the purpose i am not the n-word he says you know i am a human being you know but why like what you have to ask yourselves why did you even have this word to invent it in the first place and i mm-hmm. think that that is where we can all agree why in in a sense but where it stemmed from how it became, I think it is important too to look back on that, which I did a little research um, and and it, it, it does, there's, there's two parts to it. One is the sense of power, the sense of, the sense of like, um, you know, I'm better than you, and but it doesn't necessarily have to do particularly with race. It's just, I see you and I'm better than you kind of thing. And I'm going to make you do what I tell you to do. But at the same time, when they first see, you know, the black a, a black man, they go, whoa. They first get thrown back about, like, the color of the skin, thinking, why are they so different from us? We are born, I think, prideful and evil. Um, Definitely. But I, but, I don't, but I do believe that we know what it means to be good as well. Like, what it really means to be good, because we have conviction. Right. So that that's what I took from... A second theme from what what James Baldwin was um, expressing. Well, for me, the other point that I, that kind of really stuck out to me is that this movie makes a clear case that anyone that ever stood for something or tried to stand for something, will probably you know in the past they got themselves killed, and that would probably even happen today. And it's I mean just look at the persons featured in the documentary. You had Robert Kennedy assassinated, Malcolm X assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated, Medgar Evers assassinated. Politicians today on both sides of the aisle just seem to not really stand for anything other than to padding their own pockets or getting elected. Self-gain, yep. Yeah, and I'm left asking myself the question, where have all the good people gone? It's like the country is just trying to maintain kind of that level of how things are, both good and bad, which goes back to my first point is that the maintenance the maintenance of an outwardly squeaky clean appearance while harboring racism, hate, and judgment on the inside. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's 
the more I think about this movie, the more I'm almost not maybe despair is too strong of a word, but I feel like what he said resonates with me so much because he's speaking so much truth. Yeah. And just seeing everything that he's talking about still matter today, even though, you know, he was writing what this, he was writing his book in like the seventies or the eighties, but eighties. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sad to see how things are today. And it makes me wonder if things will change. You know, it sucks that he died so young. I mean, he died in 87 at the age of 63, 64. So, and what's more sad is that you say he died young, but he outlived all his friends. Right. Oh yeah. That's wild. And that's so sad. Yeah. Yeah, But that's also due to his stance, like of, of his life. You know what I mean? He wasn't a Muslim. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't, you know, this, this huge activist per se, you know, he kind of kept to himself, but, but always talked in, in, in lectures and, and kind of like very philosophically in a sense, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he, I guess his, to me, I, I really see his strategy different, I guess, than the way mm-hmm. how Malcolm X and Martin Luther King went about it. And Medgar Evers, I, I still need to do some more research on him. And, and obviously he's the first to die though, but yeah, I mean, just what he, what he did. So, yeah. 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 All right. How was? How about yourself? What's your third point? The third point was something that I, I had a hard time trying to figure out. You know, you know, do I see anything else as a third point? Because the first two just seemed so blatantly like just slap in the face there, and, and just kind of I felt like it just really covered, you know, the whole point for me in that message. But I think what you'd said in your first statement of the concept of a progression. I think that 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 the, there is a concept of progression in my in my view, but I think it's missing the point. That that's the, the uh, giving leeways to black to black people doesn't mean the implicit bias has gone away, right? It looks as though that when like Dick Cavett said in the beginning of the documentary interview, James Baldwin and I, I paraphrase this quote, he says, um, Dick Cavett says, uh, "Why aren't Negroes optimistic? It's getting so much better. There are mayors. There are Negroes in all sports. There's poli- they're in politics and the highest accolade they're in television." You know. To which James Baldwin replies, well, I don't think there's very much hope for for it, to tell you the truth, as long as people are using this peculiar language, which I found so fascinating when he said that. Um, and it isn't the question of what happens to the black man, but what happens to this country. We have lived under these intolerable conditions for nearly 400 years. We have evolved a certain kind of style to meet it. And a lot of that has been involved with the lies we had to tell you. And the lies we had to tell you are compounded to you as a belief because you want to believe it. He later goes to say, perhaps I know about more about you and your institutions than you know about me. And I thought that was so powerful. You know? Yeah. And just to think, you know, all of that this footage. That, yeah. Yeah. All of this footage that we see with Baldwin being interviewed. I mean, I yeah. don't know if he's giving the questions in advance, but every person asking him the question or any question looks extremely uncomfortable. And I mean, Baldwin is just like letting them have it, like not in, in an angry sort of way, but in a no. very well-spoken, Super educated, intellectual, true, yes. yeah, true way. He speaks truth. And I think that's the scary part. And that's why he make, he makes people uncomfortable. I think he still makes people uncomfortable. This documentary mm-hmm. definitely made me uncomfortable. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that, that really stuck out to me is that this movie makes a strong case for the double standard that black men are forced to live under. In one of the quotes from the movie, Bowen states that if a white man says, give me liberty or give me death, he's considered mm-hmm. a patriot and a hero. If mm-hmm. a black man says the same thing, he's considered a threat. And it's 
No wonder that a black father has to teach their children a different set of rules and someone like myself would have to, or anyone else for that matter. Um, I mean, I was just listening to this other podcast where CC Sabathia, who is like a hall of fame pitcher, um, mm-hmm. millionaire, his kids are, are extremely wealthy and he still has to have the talk with them. He said he was teaching his son how to drive and he has to, one of the first things he has to do is tell his son how to act when a cop pulls you over. And it's, it's a sad state of affairs in the world today. And I think this actually has not changed. I'm going to move into a series of quotes, and I'd love, love it if we can give um, our reactions to them. There are days in this country when you wonder what your role is and your place in it. How precisely are you going to reconcile yourself to your situation here and how you're going to communicate to the vast, heedless, unthinking, cruel white majority that you are here? I am terrified at the moral apathy the death of the heart, which is happening in my country. These people deluded themselves for so long that they really don't think I'm human. I base this on their conduct, not on what they say. This means that they have become moral monsters. So (laughs) as sad as the comparison might be, I can't help but think of Nazi Germany. Mm. Uh, This near brainwashing of the idea that a race is superior to another in order to rationalize the financial and economic gains of owning a slave is way too similar to what happened in the 1930s and 1940s. Now, there was no mass genocide of a race of people. Now, I do believe that progress has been made in our country over the last 200 years, but not in the way that it should have been because mm. we've been constantly putting just a Band-Aid on the cuts, you know, on the small cuts. Slow, slow heel. Yeah, yeah. very slow. Germany was forced to look at their moral depravity in the eye because of the way the war ended and as a result they are a better country for it america on the other hand like baldwin said still has that issue of the heart and because of that duality of things where on the outside we look so good and so perfect and at the inside we're we're just rotting yeah because we look good on the outside and we try to maintain that appearance that will keep us from really being honest and looking ourselves in the eye at the depravity in our hearts and i think that's what he's talking about here Mm. And it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, I've heard people say that you know, the U.S. government owes, should owe a public apology to the African-American you know, ethnicity or, or the race. Um, I can't say whether I agree or disagree with that, but I do like the idea of the U.S. government as a whole looking at what has happened and issuing some kind of a statement for it. I think that would be a very powerful thing. This, I mean, this speaks precisely to one of the themes I mentioned in the documentary. Like, white people have deluded themselves to the concept that blacks are inferior to them. From his powerful quote, James Baldwin, what white people have to do is try and find out in their own hearts why is it necessary to have a, the N-word, in the first place. Because I am not a N-word, I'm a man. But if you think I am an N-word, it means you need it. Mm -hmm. And... I, I, dude, the last part says it means you need, if you think I'm an N word, it means you need it. I was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It means that you have to look down on someone to feel better about yourself. You have to feel power. Yeah. You have to keep this sense of power, whatever, or, or, or you have to keep the sense of like, um, I don't know this, this, your entitlement of something that you really aren't entitled to, you know what I mean? Like it's crazy. Uh, that he asked that question because I was really hoping that Cabot would answer answer that. (laughs) 
it, it is crazy. Yeah. Last quote here before moving on. I know how you watch as you grow older, the corpses of your brothers and your sisters pile up around you, not as a result of anything they have done. They were too young to have done anything. But one does realize is that when you try to stand up and look the world in the face as if you had a right to be there, you have attacked the entire power structure. You know, I believe that that power structure we're talking about is still very much evident in the world today. Yeah. Um, the current social and political structures have been around for a very, very long time, and they're designed to oppress those that the people on the higher rungs may you know, consider are lesser or weaker. I mean, we see this even evident in our country today. We saw it in the mass incarceration of young black men and the way that they are treated by the police. It's just sad that this is the way it has been. You know, black people aren't being hung from trees anymore like they used to, but instead they're being murdered in the streets and taken advantage of by the system. And, you know, I'm not saying anything against police officers. Uh, I believe in a police department maintaining order. And I just see so much just stuff and bad and wrong happening from horrible people, not just maybe corrupt officers, but politicians that are doing whatever they can to keep the power that they have or to gain more of it. And they do so by kind of like stepping on others to get to that higher place in their life that they want to get to. And that's what's just really sad. It's it's bad. And it's, it's the way it's been for hundreds of years, thousands of years. But I, I think there's hope in other ways for, you know, a lot of the other things that we talked about here to change. So hopefully we'll see some of that. What a great documentary this was. Jeez. It was. It was phenomenal. Man. So yeah. Will and I encourage all of you to check this out. I Am Not Your Negro is streaming for free on Amazon Prime. Yes. And if you have iTunes, it's also a 99 cent rental there. So we encourage you to, to really uh, check it out. Definitely uh, check it out. Definitely. Yep. So that was our look at the documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. We are going to be moving on with a look at the trailers for Selma, as well as The Godfather. And we'll be coming back with a look at the film Gladiator. And we will be joined by a friend of the podcast, Andrew O. Stay tuned. He's got supporters. Detroit, New York, Los Angeles, inciting large-scale arrests and sympathy marches. I'm very aware of that, Mr. Hoover. What I do know is he's nonviolent. What I need to know right now, what's Martin Luther King about to do next? Mr. President, Dr. King is here. Mr. President, in the South, there have been thousands of racially motivated murders. We need your help, Dr. King. This thing's just gonna have to wait. It cannot wait. You got one big issue, I got 101. Summer it is. Here is the next great battle. Selma's the place, and they ready. Dr. King! I tell you, that white boy can hit. You will not tolerate agitators attempting to orchestrate a disturbance in this state. It is unacceptable that they use their power to keep us voiceless. Those that have gone before us say no more. People actually say they're gonna kill our children. They're trying to get inside of your head. What happens when a man stands up, says enough is enough? We build the path as we can, rock by rock. This cell is probably bugged. <laughs> it probably is. We must march. We must stand up. You march those people into rural Alabama, it's got to be open season. What I want, what's most important to me, 
He said, I have a guarantee. No more attempts on my father's life. What guarantees can I give you, Mike? I am the hunted one. I missed my chance. You think too much of me, kid. I'm not that clever. All I want is a truce. I have to go to the bathroom. Is that all right? You gotta go, you gotta go. I frisked him. He's clean. Don't take too long. I frisked a thousand young bombers. Quantito sta medio. Il camion ti fa un giugnum. E mettiamo tutto a posto. Steve Sadia, si deve finire. That was a look at the trailer for the film Selma and also a look at one of the one of my favorite scenes from The Godfather when uh, Michael Corleone walks into that restaurant and kills the guys that uh, attacked his father. So now moving on to our 10 over 10 series, uh, which has been just great for uh, Will and I to go through. And we're joined once again by a very, very special guest. He's joined us before with a look back at The Dark Knight, Mr. A talented filmmaker, Mr. Andrew O, is here as we go through the Ooh, film Gladiator. You, 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 you. Thanks for having me again, guys. You know, first off, I'm not going to go through any summary of the film because I'm pretty sure we've mm-hmm. all seen it before. It is the 20th anniversary of this movie. It came out Memorial Day in the year 2000. In the year 2000. Wow. And we're we're going to kick <laughs> things off with how we kicked off our Dark Knight look back, uh, which is a little segment that I like to call Honest Reactions. So this is a segment where I say a little known or maybe well-known fact about the film. And then we're all going to chime in with our honest reactions, of course. As you're all well aware, this movie was uh, produced by DreamWorks. And so Steven Spielberg is, of course, one of the heads of DreamWorks. So the writer, David Franzoni, had a meeting with him. And apparently Spielberg greenlit the movie after asking three questions. That gladiator movie, is it about ancient Roman gladiators? Not American, Japanese, or whatever else? Yes. Does it take place in the ancient Colosseum? Yes. So there's fighting with swords and animals to the death and such? Yes. Great. Let's make a movie. (laughs) Just that easy. (laughs) Which is, I feel like, Andrew, you and I know, it's never that easy. But apparently for him it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. I'm just trying to imagine that that, uh, interaction. He's like, wait, for real? (laughs) Are we really doing this? (laughs) Yeah, you're not gonna lie to me and kick me out and not call me again, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so apparently maybe they should have taken things a little less lightly because it turns out when they started shooting the film, they really only had 32 pages of script to work with. But we'll come back to that a little bit later. Wow. So they offered the role of Maximus to Mel Gibson, but he turned it down. Now Ridley Scott denies that Mel Gibson was his first choice for Maximus. So while it has often been stated that Gibson turned down the lead role in the film, Making Way for Crow, Scott insisted to CNN that Russell was really always my first choice. He had seen him in 1992's Romper Stopper and thought he was someone worth watching. So wow. I want to ask you guys, what do you guys think? Could you guys have seen a version of this film where Mel Gibson played Maximus? No. No, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't. 
I mean, I mean, he was amazing in in, in Braveheart and whatnot. Yeah. But I don't know. I think I think Gladiator was just a whole different kind of ball game when it comes to the fighting sequences and and such. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, same. I mean, I think Russell Crowe for me, like he is Maximus. Uh, obviously, it's yeah. in hindsight, it's hard to imagine anyone else playing him other than Russell Crowe. But um, I, I think that was. Yeah, the right thing for really to say, you know, having, uh, you know, obviously Russell Crowe winning the best uh, best actor picture for that film. So it's it's Completely. would be terrible yeah. for him to come out and say, hey, actually, yeah, he was my yeah. second or third choice or whatever. But yeah, I, I think yeah. he was the perfect casting choice. So I feel like uh, Russell Crowe had that build of a gladiator too. He wasn't mm-hmm. really ripped. Yeah, he was just kind yeah. of really thick and burly and stocky. Yeah, totally kind of true to it. Roman. Yeah, yeah, true um, in those times. I don't think Mel Gibson would have worked because all I would have seen is, is William Wallace. And I think I, this is the problem I had with the film. That's what the I'm Patri- saying. The, the Patriot, long hair. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, anytime there was a big battle scene, you wanted him, you thought that he would like slip back into a Scottish accent or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's Freedom! True. Yeah. But yeah, for me, I think Crow, Maximus, there is no, yeah, no one else could have played that role as well as he did. All right, third point here. Ridley Scott got permission to burn down a forest. Shooting began in Bourne Woods, a forest near Farnham, England, that doubled as Germania during the battle between the Roman legions and the German fighters. Scott learned that the Royal Forestry Commission had scheduled the area for deforestation, so he arranged to burn it down for them and then get the shots that he needed. So (laughs) let me ask you guys, this opening fight scene, where does it rank in the annals of great fight scenes? big battle scenes like you know from braveheart or the patriot or or lord of the rings where does this lie in there i would say it'd be in my top like top 10 mm-hmm. it's it's it, it was it, it i mean the the caliber of the amount of of um soldiers that you see isn't as like crazy as what you would see in like lord of the rings because those those freaking battle scenes were like freaking epic and huge mm-hmm. but it was but it's so cg you know it I is like it here is it was real yeah. 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 But it, yeah, but I mean, it, yeah, like I like with this one, it felt it did feel more authentic and just the way how everything was played out uh felt more um just raw and and I really I yeah, that that battle scene was nuts. I loved it. Yeah, no, I think it was a solid battle scene. I I think it didn't feel as big like Will mentioned. It didn't feel as big as even though it was real like uh Lord of the Rings or some of the other like even Braveheart. I felt like that uh, felt a little bit more epic in scale, but I think that um, the way that it was executed was really, really well done. And I think him getting the um, the rights to burn down that forest was key. Because when I was watching it again, I was like, "Wow, how did he, how did he pull this off?" You know, like there's fire and explosions going off in the woods. I'm, I'm sure like these mm-hmm. trees burn down. And now yeah. that now I know that they actually got the rights to burn it down, so it looked amazing. What what a freaking pass, man! That's crazy. That is, know, how right? lucky that is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next point here. While appearing on Inside the Actor Studio, Crow said that only, like I said, thirty-two pages of the script were completed when shooting commenced. So co-writer William Nicholson recounted how Crow once told them, "Your lines are garbage, but I'm the greatest actor in the world, and I can make even garbage sound good." <laughs> Initially, wow. Crow didn't care for the now-famous line, "And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next," but repeatedly failed to ad-lib anything better. Now, let me ask you guys: 
what what is just your overall overall reaction to this this whole little point here uh, to maybe his attitude towards the writer um is he right or wrong is crow actually the greatest actor in the world and can you make no. garbage sound good <laughs> i think that he can make garbage lines sound better but is he the greatest actor in the world no you know what i i actually he actually became my favorite actor after this movie at the time mm. and mm. um it, first of all it's it's staggering that a hundred plus million dollar movie would start shooting with only 32 pages of the script written yeah. and <laughs> i don't even know how that even is is possible um but I do, I do think that a great actor can make um, a poor script serviceable, but I, I, I like his confidence thinking that he was the best actor in the world, but I, but I do yeah. think he is a freaking damn good actor and probably Sounds was like one of the ego, top actors though. in the world. I mean, yeah. I think he probably was if you think about it. He was amazing. I think he, was. he was on a roll. Yeah. He was on a crazy roll. Yeah. He had, I, I believe he did The Insider. Oh, um, dude. And he gained a favorites. ton of weight for that. Yeah. Then he got yeah. ripped for Gladiator. And uh-huh. then he also had a beautiful mind in there. And that's just yep. like, yeah, Dude. the trifecta. Here's the thing. If Jordan is telling everyone, I'm the greatest basketball player in the world, it's like, uh-huh. it's like yeah, you're, you're not bragging. You're just stating the truth. And I have to say uh-huh. that during that stretch of films that we were talking yeah. about right now, I think yep. he was the greatest actor in the world during that time. <laughs> I think so too. During so, that time, sure, during maybe. That time. During that time. I'll give it to him. I, I don't judge him for it. And uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I like that line. I will have my yeah. vengeance in this life or the next. I think it's pretty cool. I thought like, it was the great, actually. so much about the afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah, if you look anyway, at even yeah. even beyond that, like after Beautiful Mind, like I loved Master and Commander, Cinderella oh, yeah. Man. I loved The Good Year, yeah. 310 Yuma, American Gangster. Dude. Yeah. The guy was, tish, man. On he fire. had a crazy stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Any proof of life lovers out there? No? <laughs> no proof of life? <laughs> that was With a Meg Ryan? No. Okay. <laughs> so, a musician named Nick Cave wrote a sequel involving a time-traveling Maximus. As, <laughs> as Cave is best known as a musician, it seemed surprising to have some that Crow and Scott asked him to write a sequel to Gladiator. Cave dealt with the whole Maximus is dead problem by having the Roman gods reincarnate him. The plan was for him to then somehow be transported to World War II the Vietnam War, and then become a modern-day general at the Pentagon. The studio rejected it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they did. <laughs> Not surprised. Is there any world where you think this could work? Like no. if Darren Aronofsky no. did like his, you know, the fountain, right? Okay, the, the whole, maybe, okay. yes. If Aronofsky <laughs> did it, then yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, no, no. If, if Tommy Wiseau directed yes. this, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yes. might have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was our look at uh, some uh, lesser-known facts about the film Gladiator. I wanted to go ahead and move forward into our main review. So, Andrew, since you're joining us here, I want to ask mm-hmm. you first, do you remember when you first watched the film? What was your reaction to it? And having rewatched it now, is it as good as you remember it? Yeah, I remember when I first watched this film because I was absolutely blown away. Um, you know, being a college student, these were the types of movies that we like kind of gravitated towards. These like um, these epic, uh, uh, you know, revenge tales, and and so when I first saw it, it was amazing, and I was a big fan of Ridley Scott, having loved like Thelma and Louise, and uh, even uh, Black Rain, which I really I grew up watching that movie because my dad had that um, laser disc, so I watched Black Rain. <laughs> so I was a big Ridley Scott fan, <laughs> so I was really excited to see it and to see something done with this much polish, uh, you know, with uh, Ridley Scott. 
Scott, Scott's deft hand at directing um, and Russell Crowe. Um, I was I was blown away and watching it again. I hadn't I hadn't watched it for about five six years now, but watching it again, it just brought back all of those memories, all of the things that I loved about the movie when I was you know back in college. Um, still rings true today for me. So I so I absolutely love the film. How about you, Will? What did you think? Man, I was fourteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> this film came Dude. out. <laughs> uh, I think I either snuck in or I did see it with. Yeah, I was going to say it's rated R. How'd you get in? But no. I, yeah. I found I, Oh, man. Well, where, how I grew up, we found ways. The one thing I do remember watching it for the first time so vividly was the theme song, Now You Are Free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It always gave me chills. I, am, I have no idea why. I, I think yeah. it just, it was so elating. I love hearing that song. It always made me feel a sense of calm and and like <laughs> and freedom, I guess. Like mm-hmm. it was just it was just so good. I would play that on repeat so many times. And it was emotional. It was such an like I mean I was like Hans Zimmer just like, "Frick, dude, you really pulled my heartstrings." Mm-hmm. No pun intended. It's that but, voice. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. <laughs> that that really, woman yeah. singer so powerful. Yeah. yeah. Um there there were so many amazing and beautiful scenes such as like the beginning battle scene battle scene with the Germanians and it was epic and had so much energy and like the performance by the cast were all amazing and man Joaquin Phoenix really outdid himself as the antagonistic prince because when I first I I can't remember anything else I've seen Joaquin Phoenix and I think that was my first time seeing Joaquin Phoenix acting performing and and i hated him in the film right off the bat when i first watched it and i was like constantly i don't know why kept questioning like why is he talking like that why does he sound like a little boy like a little boy what the heck is wrong with his voice and then the moment that i saw another film of his i can't remember the next one he was talking in his regular voice i was like what he doesn't talk like that what is he doing like is he doing an accent what is this and then i went to watch an interview with him I was like oh he really talks like that okay wow <laughs> Ridley Scott just did a great job, like picking, yeah, like really choosing he Joaquin, because he, I don't know, dude. When it comes to a good antagonist, yeah. if they don't irk me in a way that they should, then it's like, eh, okay, I'm just kind of in for the ride. But he right. really pissed me off in this mm-hmm. film, where that just justified how amazing, how well he did as the okay. prince. So yeah, yeah, I t- fully agree with you. I think we're gonna talk a little bit more about Joaquin's performance a little bit later. Yeah. As for myself, I was a college student at UCLA when I saw this at one of the Fox theaters in Westwood. And I have to say that the movie completely blew me away when I watched it. It was like the darker, more serious version of, of Braveheart. And Russell Crowe had shown his acting chops in a slew of smaller movies like The Insider and L.A. Confidential. And I remember thinking after seeing this one that this guy's about to blow up like nobody else. And he did. Mm -hmm. Uh, He became a movie star before our very eyes. Like in that Mm -hmm. theater, he was just literally bursting. And it's just like this guy's going to be huge. Phoenix was incredible. I saw him in a movie called To Die For with Nicole Kidman. And mm-hmm. he was so good in that. And I was like, okay, I wonder yeah. what he's going to do next. And I know he was in some other films, but this is the one that really sticks out after that. And of course, yeah. Connie Nielsen was amazing, as was Richard Harris as uh, Marcus Aurelius. And definitely one of the best films of the year and well-deserving of an Academy Award nomination. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I really, really did love the film. And you know, as far as does it hold up, uh, I think that's something that we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about mm-hmm. later. But mm-hmm. wanted to get right into the next question here. What are your favorite moments from the movie? I'll go first, and then I'll hand it off to Will, and then maybe Andrew can go after. Mm-hmm. My favorite scene is where you know there's that big gladiator battle in Rome, 
And then uh, Commodus comes down to greet uh, the the gladiator who he doesn't know is the guy that he had tried to have killed. And I just remember watching that in the theater and everyone's like, oh my gosh, stuff is about to go down. It's about to get crazy. And at this point, you're thinking um, Maximus doesn't care if he dies because he wants to just see his family. But then the boy runs in, Lucius, and stops any plans that he has. But he tries to maintain his anonymity by keeping his mask on, but eventually has to take it off and those lines... The lines are so good. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. I want to say that line probably rivals for me that line in Princess Bride. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepared <laughs> to die. Father. Yes. <laughs> a little bit simpler there, though. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what I like more. I think I like the yeah, Inigo but the amount one of better. times you had, to, the amount of times Inigo Montoya had to repeat that line, man, it just got yeah. deeper and deeper. Stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that scene was so good, and I just love yeah. that it ends on Phoenix's reaction, which made everyone laugh because he looked like yeah. a, like a four year old like boy caught in the headlines. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh <laughs> you're still alive. Yeah, and, and he couldn't do anything because he wanted to <laughs> please the fans you. so much. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the fans loved Maximus, so yeah, that yeah, was, that was dope. Yeah, how about yeah. you, Will? What's your favorite moment or moments from the film? My favorite moments are definitely a few quotes from the film. One of one from the beginning battle scene as Maximus speaks to his cavalry before battle where he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Hmm. It was such a powerful, awesome scene right before um, they go and just freaking do a flank. And mm-hmm. then um, another is strength and honor. So good. Love hearing mm-hmm. that. And of course, are you not entertained? Like yeah. just those, those, those yeah. quotes, especially are you not entertained? man, it's yeah. still relevant in the in, in today's day and age. Yeah. I don't think that's ever going <laughs> to go away. We can say it in any place, anywhere, and someone will know where, where that's know. from. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about that opening scene is that line where he says, you know, if you find yourself riding through, like, pastures with <laughs> yeah, the sun on your face, don't worry, because you're already dead. And everyone laughs. No one yeah. finished it. Like, oh, you're oh, Elysium. I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm dead. That's great. <laughs> I didn't really yeah. understand it at the time, but now I totally get it. Yeah, that yeah. that Elysium line. It was that was a great scene. Yeah, um, how about yourself, Andy? Yeah, I, I mean, I would have to agree. I think if I were to pick one scene, it would be the same as yours, Myron. That reveal, because uh, it just everything was on a collision course to that moment where they f- finally meet again, and it was such mm-hmm. a a well executed scene. Um, but if I had to pick another one, I actually mm-hmm. liked just a few scenes, or just you know that that sequence before uh, where the gladiators are. In essence, um, being um, sacrificed right for the uh, the Battle of Carthage, where they were supposed to lose, and and then you see uh, Maximus uh, taking charge, and mm-hmm. he says, "Oh, we got to work together if we want to all survive this." And and that was just a cool scene. I really yeah. liked it, and uh, and even that. <laughs> for some reason, whenever I think of Joaquin Phoenix in this movie, and I think of one image, it's when. Uh, uh, Jamon Hansi throws um, Russell Crowe the sword and then he does that little you know that 
that yeah. motion. <laughs> yeah. That's like for me for some reason ingrained yeah. as the image of Joaquin Phoenix in this film. But yeah, yeah. that whole sequence is just so well done. I really loved it. Joaquin Phoenix is just so good in this. <laughs> so movie. good. I think another yeah. thing that you'll never uh, anyone will always know from that film too is when Joaquin Phoenix does you know the whole film thing. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone will know. Oh, like kill, kill, but kill. <laughs> I could be wrong, but isn't that literally the genesis of like the thumbs up sign and the thumbs I down think sign? So. Yeah, right. I don't know. I, mean, I, I think Wait, I remember w- hearing that. It wasn't Roger wrong, Ebert. It wasn't Roger <laughs> Ebert. No. <laughs> so uh, I was thinking about Joaquin Phoenix uh, in this in this uh, movie, and I think he does something that I've never seen anyone pull off. Is that as a bad guy, you can be a joke and someone to laugh at. But if you play it like that, you also usually can't be someone that people are afraid of. Uh, mm-hmm. It's either one or the other. But yeah. here he does both. You laugh yeah. at him and you're scared yeah. to death of him. And yeah. I've never seen anyone pull that off before. And I think he does totally. it, which is really, really cool. Oh, man. The other great scene, too, is uh, when he was telling the story of the little bee. To his, oh yeah, to his nephew yeah. and looking at sternly at his sister, uh-huh. and his sister's like trying to hold back tears, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah. he's gonna kill her!" <laughs> Dude, he made her. He so made her crack by not even like yeah. by telling a story, which and, is awesome. And his nephew had no idea what was going on. He was just looking like plainly and just wow. That, yeah. Yeah. He could see like his mom breaking down, yeah, like, starting to cry. So he's like, "Oh shoot, did I do something?" Like it was, it was pretty it was crazy because like you could tell, scene. yeah. yeah. Because you could tell, like, bee. oh, did I? S-? He was just being a kid, you know. Like, his his role model or his idol now is this glad Spaniard, and he's like, oh shoot, did I do something that's gonna put my mom in danger? Yeah. And he started to realize that just in that look, it was. A, I agree, it was such a well. I hated scene. that kid in that movie, dude. Seriously though, I'm Maximus, the savior of Rome. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> Come on, come on. But that was one thing though. Would she really say that to to her son, like? She's trying to plot like this crazy, uh, you know, uh, coup, and would she really tell that to her son? I don't know. Probably not. They needed something. It was like, (laughs) it's two hours, guys. We need, we need, we need to make something happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So next question. Let me ask you guys. This movie is twenty years old. Does it hold up, and is it still relevant, Andrew? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it does. Again, I think uh, Ridley Scott did such a wonderful job directing the film. It's still very relevant, and it feels still very modern and obviously you can tell that it's uh, a big inspiration for you know even like game of thrones down to like the insist between brother and sister and um the uh you know like the fight to uh to ascend to to be the ruler of them all so i mean it was really really well done again and 20 years ago it was amazing i think definitely still holds up today mm, great great what about you uh will are you not entertained it will hold up <laughs> forever Apparently we are all entertained because we're talking about this, but (laughs) in in terms of the just the 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 performance, the direction, everything like yeah, I mean it was an epic. And I think I think that any epic will always kind of hold, you know, to the test of time. Um I think when it comes to the technicality of the stuff of it, yeah, I mean we have new things out, we have new ways of doing things, but like I think that you can never deviate from the true nature of this film, which is the amazing story, the amazing music. I, and that is will forever also, not just the great quotes, but that the music that Hans Zimmer mm-hmm. created for this film, 
I don't even have to like, yeah, I, I can hear maybe like five seconds of a specific soundtrack of the mm-hmm. theme of Gladiator. And I'll know it's Gladiator kind of thing. Yeah. You know, he, it, it's like it, they've done so well ingraining it, like yeah. really making it memorable. So um, for me, uh, the movie does hold up <clears throat> much in part due to Russell Crowe's performance, but it mm-hmm. technically doesn't stand up as much as it did when I saw it at the first mm. few, a few times. So I, fought, I, I owned the 4K uh, UHD disc. So I watched it and uh, I noticed a lot of things that I haven't noticed before, maybe because of the, of the, um, you know, ultra high definition. First off, I noticed there were a lot of soft focus shots mm-hmm. and it wasn't just a couple. It was actually distracting for me to see so much <laughs> of that. And I was like, dang it. And then you could tell uh, a few times they would have like the lens just really close to the guy's face, but so uh-huh. close to the point, I think they passed that minimum focusing distance where they started <laughs> to get a little soft. And started these little things started to bother me, and then towards the second half of the movie, um, in that section, it, the problems pretty much went away. Also, the CGI just didn't look that real. The Colosseum oh, looked yeah. fake. Yeah, uh, you know, the ancient Rome looked kind of fake. <laughs> yeah, the tigers with Maximus looked kind of fake, and so you know, compared like the CG shots in this to nine years earlier when, uh, with the shots in the Terminator in Terminator two. And I have to say the Terminator two shots actually were a lot, looked a lot more modern and progressive, but mm-hmm. I mean, this has nothing to do with the storytelling, the story, the performances, the directing, it's still top notch. So you just can't watch it in UHD or 4k, man. Just don't watch it in that. <laughs> I know it was meant to be <laughs> totally. watched in, uh, on DVD for on DVD. Yes. Yeah. At highest, maybe at highest 720, but you're pushing it after that. Yeah, I know. Seriously. I think 4K is going to make a lot of movies look really bad. But I Um, I agree with you. I totally saw the soft shots. There was like this one shot with Joaquin Phoenix where he was like completely, it was like focused on his ear or something. Yeah. yeah, I remember that scene. (laughs) It's like, what's going on here? All right. This movie won Best Picture and Best Actor at the Academy Awards. But let's pick up any moments of the movie, if any, that are weak or you did not like. So, Will, why don't you go first? Aside from the nephew, who I could care less about, really, you know, I mean, could they have, I, I don't know, this is the question I guess I can just throw out to you guys. Should they have just replaced a different, was it just his look? I don't know what threw me off about him, but I was just like, mm-hmm. I don't like this kid. I just, he's not doing anything wrong, but just something that he's doing wrong that I can't put my finger on it. Like, I don't, I don't I, I think like what him. it was is they treated him like a plot device and not an actual person. I think that's what it was. <laughs> was know. there anything, though, do you think that, was there anything about his look, though, that also could have maybe been off-putting, that they could have used, hired a different actor for, for that, <laughs> So you I guess. just didn't like his face? He, I don't know. Maybe. But, like, his performance was okay, though, too. You know what I mean? I guess for mm-hmm. what role, what small point uh, part that he played. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. It was just something off-putting. I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. gotta have a Andy. <laughs> yeah, there, there are two things. Um, for, first was uh, the first thing was it was just a scene, and it was when um, Maximus had just narrowly escaped his execution, and he's riding home, right? And uh, now he's like trekking across a desert. Like severely dehydrated and on the verge of starving to death and all of a sudden like bleeding out yeah no, like, horse, you know, then, horse hasn't stopped <laughs> no but then like they cut to uh the roman soldiers approaching his home and it's almost as if like he just knew and all of a sudden he just starts like booking the crap out of it right and yeah. he's like going home and then he obviously it's, it's like it was just unbelievable that he would he's literally like hunched over barely surviving and all of a sudden like he just feels the urge to like literally book it back home. 
I, I felt like a more natural way to have done it would have been, you know, like he, he arrives in the uh, his the surrounding region where he lives, and he sees like maybe some smoke off in the distance, and that kind of um, triggers it right there for him. Triggers to, it right, to, to yeah. So he starts to book rush. it right, yeah. but it it just felt like the they made an editorial decision at that point for like okay, well that would make more sense if we did it like that, but I think for him to just to intercut between the two horses running. I think was what they were going mm. for. So that was kind of like it's an a small instinctual, thing. like yeah. an instinctual thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel them that they're in danger. Yeah. I think it's right. Like, exactly. Yeah. And then the, the second thing is I, I feel like, um, Commodus's character, even though it was played brilliantly, was a little bit confused. And, and the reason I say this is, um, he's portrayed as like this crazy coward, right? Like he, he missed the war. Um, but yet like, he's like this really skilled swordsman, right? Um, and, you know, they plant that seed in the beginning when uh, Maximus witnesses him, like, jousting with, like, six or seven guys in the beginning, and then they're trying to pay that off later when they have the finale between him and uh, Maximus. But I was like, okay, so even if, if I'm portrayed as, like, this epic coward that would be willing to do the most cowardice things, like murder his own father to to become Caesar... Would he really, even though he cheated, would he really risk his neck, own neck, to go into the ring against possibly mm. the greatest gladiator that ever walked the, the walked through the you know, fought inside the Colosseum? Right. Well, I have a question for you guys, and this is something that actually a lot of people have been asking: is uh, well, first of all, we know he was a people pleaser, and so he would yeah. want to appear like he beats Maximus in battle. But secondly, I think there's this ongoing theory going around: like, was the dagger poisoned? And if oh. so, I feel like it would have been a lot more, um, you know, incentive. Oh, this guy's gonna die, and then Maximus yeah. just like is so angry. He literally just yeah. keeps himself from uh, keeps himself from dying long enough to kill yeah. Commodus. Yeah. Do you guys think? I mean, if it was poison, they should have shown it. I obviously, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a great it, point. It, it, it makes more sense because yeah, for what you're saying, just stabbing him what under the arm is not going to really do anything. I feel like this right guy kick exactly. Your ass. Yeah. Wow, that's a good point. I actually didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, for me, the entire third act felt very weak. This movie was this constant buildup, buildup, buildup of like, oh my gosh, he's back in the in Rome. Oh my gosh, he's going to kill Commodus. And then it started to become something else where it's like, oh, there's going to be a revolution, a revolt. They're going to kill Commodus. And then, you know, Maximus is going to be king. He's going to become like a king from being a slave and all this stuff. And then it just stops because like you guys were saying, the boy says, I'm Maximus, the savior of Rome. And it completely lets the air out of the movie. It's like, okay, the revolution didn't happen. So what, what's left is is what? He's going to face Commodus. And if he does, he's going to absolutely kill Commodus, right? And then, you know, mm-hmm. that whole last scene was very anticlimactic. And it's like, oh, uh, Commodus stabbed them, whether the dagger was poisoned or not. But that whole fight was just like, okay, all right, all right, cool. Now he's dead. But then it just picks back up. It saves itself with the theme. So Hans Zimmer, in some ways, I think, saves the third act with that beautifully emotional theme. And then also uh, the emotional payoff of him getting to see his family. So they got very lucky there because it could have really, I think, sunk the ship. But mm-hmm. I think they recovered very, very quickly. So mm-hmm. that was, for me, the biggest issue that I had. But once again, it was you know, not a huge issue. Moving forward, this should be fun. Because, you know, this is, I think, maybe the best part of, of every 10 over 10 um, look back that we do. And that's fact or fiction. 
based on the ESPN segment, I will present some bold statements about the movie, and it's up to you guys to say whether it's fact or fiction, and then say why. So number one, and yeah, I think for a reference, I did put a link here to the uh, movies and actors and other crew members that were nominated for Academy Award in 2001, in case you wanted to see who these guys were up against. But my first fact or fiction question is this. Ridley Scott should have won the Oscar for Best Director over Steven Soderbergh. Fact or fiction? I say fact. Okay. Um, and I think that this was what really... And you could totally tell when he lost that he was really upset. Yeah. Uh, and because when you when you win Best Picture and you win... You know, you're, you're the best actor in the world uh, for that year was your lead, leading man. And, uh, and for you not to win Best Director, I think, was a big snub. Hmm. And I think that people were surprised that he didn't win because I think people actually thought Soderbergh wouldn't win because he was splitting um, his, own the, vote. his votes between yeah two two different films and he was an ama- he's an amazing director and I think you know you could argue that he probably should have won the and he deserved it but I think if you look at the way that the other awards went I think Ridley Scott absolutely deserved it. I would I would say fact as well. Um, I think Traffic was a great film. I thought Aaron Brockovich was also a great film too. I mean, I, I think Light Air was such an epic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, I, I think uh, honestly, Traffic is the better executed film and it mm-hmm. obviously had the more airtight script. Gladiator is just a massive epic that just captures your imagination and your emotions, and that's something Traffic didn't do. But it's, Traffic isn't that kind of movie that would do that. It isn't. You know? Two different yeah. films, true, that yeah, too. Totally. Yeah, but for me, I would say um, fact, but just barely, because I, I loved Traffic. You know? I did too. Yeah. I absolutely did too. The second point I had here, the second fact or fiction question, is something similar. Um, Gladiator deserved its best picture win. Fact or fiction? I think fact. Um, again, I think uh, Hollywood typically rewards um, these really big epic spectacles, and uh, especially when it deals with um, some sort of history. And uh, I think, again, if you look at just the accomplishment of, of shooting an epic like this uh, mm-hmm. under with with that much talent at the helm, uh, I, I really feel like it did deserve it. Yeah. But I think that it's weird because I feel like maybe, again, my, my timing on this could be pretty hazy, but I think that we were probably coming, um, like that time was when we were shifting to more like um, indie and more gritty, that mm-hmm. sort of like sentiment, um, uh, that sort yeah. of like sensibility yeah. and maybe that that was where it kind of started to diverge and that's why Gladiator won Best Picture because that was kind of like what Hollywood used to reward in terms of yeah. Best Picture but then the Best Director went to um, uh, Soderbergh so, which yeah. you know with, with traffic right and so I don't know but I, but I think it deserved for sure I mean when mm. I look at it I think I'm with you Myron I think Traffic was a better film but I think gladiator deserved to win gladiator i think works so well because of the director and uh, Mm -hmm. i think i agree the two should have both gone to the film gladiator how do you um work from a 32 page script and shepherd that to become what it was and it was pretty incredible all right next one russell crowe deserved his best actor win fact or fiction yeah i would say so okay you say fact Fact. i would say fact yeah how about you (laughs) fact I say fiction. I think. Uh, oh wow! I think Tom Hanks was better, and I think the only yeah. reason why he didn't get it is because he already won two. Um, yeah. You know, I think Russell Crowe was obviously amazing, but I, I can't take, you know, I can't take this away from Tom Hanks. His transformation and Castaway was incredible. I mean, he was on camera by himself 
for I don't know how long, how much yeah. of the movie was just a volleyball to play off of. So yeah, yeah, I, I would if I had to go back, I'd give it to him. But I'm not mad at mm. I'm not mad about Russell Crowe winning at all. That's true. That is a tough yeah. call for sure. Uh, this one we might have some disagreements on. Um, fact or fiction? Joaquin Phoenix is better in The Joker than in Gladiator. Fact or fiction? <laughs> you, oh, what man. kind of freaking fact or fiction Sad- is this? Uh, kind of crap, sadistic dude? game is this? Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? I'm going to go first and just say he, uh, fiction. And mm-hmm. uh, the reason I say this is I think um, performance-wise, he was incredible. Probably the best performance of his life, uh, you know, in The Joker. But I can't think of another character that if you were to say, who, which character in cinema cinematic history do you hate the most? I would say probably Commodus. Like, really? for about 15 years, I would... I thought he was the most loathed film character of all time and and so for 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 somebody to achieve that i mean dude you yeah and i don't know that's just the way i I see it yeah yeah but at the same time (laughs) the joker you know was a villain that was created by you know uh basically by like by society in a sense or, or by law or by yeah. the police in a sense i mean you you kind of sympathize with him in that sense and i thought that that transition that joaquin phoenix did for uh, as that as the joker was amazing and beautiful like yeah. the moment he became sadistic you know uh that in that transition of the scene where he stabs and and like his like his uh one of his uh co-worker former co-workers i i would only say um fiction only because Gladiator being the first film that I that that I witnessed Joaquin Phoenix's performance as an antagonist, and just seeing the depth of his just his skill as an actor, I would say the Joker is just very very slightly right below Gladiator. I guess it's literally yeah. if you looked at it from afar, they looked even, but just yeah. slightly below. Yeah, I, I say uh, fiction. I think he was. He accomplished far more with less screen time in Gladiator Mm -hmm. and fulfilled that role so perfectly. And I don't know anyone, like I said, that could have come off as laughable and a joke, but also extremely scary. And that's something that I haven't seen ever. So I have to say I liked him much more in Gladiator. Um, Last factor fiction for you guys. And I'm just throwing this out there because obviously there are certain parallels. There is the Mel Gibson um, parallel that we talked about where he was uh, almost cast as Gladiator. Both of these movies won Best Picture. And I have to think that one of the reasons why a a film like Gladiator got made was because Braveheart was so successful. So Mm -hmm. factor Mm -hmm. fiction. Gladiator is a better movie than Braveheart. Factor fiction. I hate you so much. This is so stupid. Uh, (laughs) This is so... What the F? Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) Gladiator is a better movie than Braveheart. Uh, We're talking about Rome and and, and Scotland, man. (laughs) Come on. There are some obvious parallels here. It's the same genre. We should be able to make a pretty good comparison. I would say it's fiction because I think Braveheart just added a bit more emotional layers to uh his his okay. relationship his love when you see russell crow um like that scene where his wife and and his son hanging it was a very emotional moment but like i kind of wished there was a bit more of that connection for the audience to at least kind of get a sense of his regular lifestyle as i think you know just just being a farmer being being a civil just a, a regular civil man in that sense 
Mm-hmm. I think that with Braveheart, uh, we get best of both worlds of him as a soldier and then him as a man who is in love and, and mm-hmm. has a, like getting a piece of his personal life in yeah. that sense. So, mm-hmm. cool. yeah. I'll go next and maybe Andrew, you can close mm-hmm. this out. Uh, I have to mm-hmm. say fiction as well. I thought Braveheart was the more well-rounded film that hit more mm-hmm. emotional notes. And mm-hmm. I think the third act was far more emotionally involving when William Wallace gets captured and has that end scene. And, you know, it might be a little on the nose and tug on the heartstrings, maybe a little bit more than a, a movie should, but just that scene where he sees his, uh, his deceased wife in the crowd and, uh, you know, in the midst of the pain that he's going through, I think that's such a powerful moment. And to see what his martyrdom kind of leads to was a far more satisfying ending. And I fully agree with you, Will, that uh, just seeing William Wallace, the man, uh, William Wallace, the, you know, he had a sense of humor. There was laughs, uh, his interactions with his men. There's so much more depth there. And I thought Braveheart was mm-hmm. a better movie. Um, mm. What do you think? I agree. Andy? So I would say uh, fiction as well, and I agree with you guys. Um, I think the reason why I love Braveheart so much was um, that uh, I think in Gladiator, you are inferring, or you're pretty much just um, within like I think three or four lines and visuals, just seeing how much Russell Crowe loves his family. Whereas I think in Braveheart, we actually get to witness it and we get to witness the love Mm. forming between these two people. And it's so much deeper when he loses her. And I think in terms of just how I was affected emotionally watching the two films, I think Braveheart definitely um, just felt so much deeper to me Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the way that I reacted to it. So, I mean, both are great films and it's really hard to choose, but I think uh, I would definitely have to go with Braveheart in this, this instance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we all agree here, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's lastly, first, I think, huh? um, just kidding. What was that? <laughs> was is this a first? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a unique case for sure. Uh, all right, everyone. What is your overall rating of the film? Uh, I give it four stars. An amazing film that falls short a little bit in the third act uh, and has a few production flaws. But other than that, definitely one of Ridley Scott's best films. How about you, Will? Four and a half stars. I think it is one of Ridley Scott's best films as well. Um, I think that it's it's just even close to on par with Braveheart, as we were speaking about too. Uh, amazing production, amazing performances, uh, amazing first introduction for me with Joaquin Phoenix and him, um, and just being so freaked out of a kind of like you know creepy and, and, and an amazing antagonist that he plays in this role, um, and just amazing, amazing freaking music by Hans Zimmer. Mm. So. Got it. How about you, Andy? Yeah, I think uh, if I were trying to be objective, I think it's a four-star movie. But I think because I have so many memories and, like I said, um, the the director, the actors, like Will said, the move, the music. I think I would have to give it a four and a half. Uh, it's just it's definitely one of those movies that I feel like uh, has become like a cultural icon because of what it achieved with all of those different elements. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say four and a half stars. Myron, awesome. sounds like you have not been entertained enough. <laughs> I, I was mostly entertained. Are you mostly entertained? Yeah, I am mostly entertained. 
All right. So that was our look at the film Gladiator. So we're going to try something new here. As uh, our listeners uh, are aware, at the beginning of the show, Will and I didn't talk so much about kind of what we were doing or kind of what's happening in our lives. We're moving that to the end. So th- there's a section that I want to start up called On Your Soapbox. So this is a chance to discuss uh, any views on an event and experience or to talk about something new or cool that you've done or discovered. So uh, I think all three of us are going to do this and then we'll go ahead and close out the show. So first, Sweet. Will. Been going out actually to uh, restaurants have been opening up a little bit, and so I, um, I think the new structure of uh, the way restaurants are doing it, I like it, and I'm happy to kind of be able to eat inside a restaurant, and order and and go on dates again. So that's kind of new. Still being safe, they actually uh, take my temperature, which is kind of cool, I guess you know. Other than that, it's still kind of quarantine and and still trying to keep busy with. Mm-hmm. If I if there is no work, then I try to keep creative and also just exercise, keep healthy as possible. Cool. How about you, Andrew? What do you want to say on your soapbox? Oh man, I just wanted to point out the whole mask debate that's been going around. Mm. Uh, that's been going on. I think people <laughs> uh, think that you know when people ask you to wear a mask, it's like an infringement on your constitutional rights. But oh I, mean, I, I, I really don't feel like they uh, they know why you wear a mask. Yeah. And it's not because it protects you. Uh, from the virus, because obviously you need an N95 or whatever mask to, to for 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 you for it to protect you from getting the virus. But if you're sick and you don't know it, having a mask, having a barrier, uh, will protect others around you from getting sick. And so when you have everybody wearing a mask, I think it's very obvious to me that it's going to slow down the transmission of the virus. But I think just people just don't get it. And it gets mm-hmm. me really angry that they think it's an infringement on your constitutional rights. I'm like, uh, yeah, you can't make me do anything. And so I'm like, I don't know. It just gets me really annoyed. Yeah, yeah, it gets me really annoyed mm-hmm. too. Do you guys yeah. want to know what else is really annoying? Is why mm-hmm. is it so damn hard to get a COVID-19 test? So Is it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to tell you guys kind of a little story here. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, but so uh, I was feeling under the weather this past week, uh, like really fatigued. Like I had to think get up out of bed for me to get up out of bed and i was feeling a little warm so i was like oh you know we have family members we have young ones here um you know my wife's parents come to help watch the kids i want to get a COVID 19 test first off i don't know how many websites i went on to put my information in first off you can't just walk in and i guess that makes sense uh so you have to make an appointment it is impossible to get a day of appointment um, if you try to get an appointment, you fill out a questionnaire and they ask you a set of questions like, do you have a fever? Have you been in contact with someone? Yada, 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 yada. And if you basically answer no to any of these questions, then uh, it, it says, I'm sorry, you cannot get a COVID test at this time. So basically you have to lie on your questionnaire if you don't have these <laughs> symptoms in order to even get tested, which makes wow. absolutely no sense to me because the time that you are probably going to be spreading this virus the most is when you're not showing any symptoms. So if you feel like even if there's a slightest chance that you might have it, why is it so hard to get tested? You know, and it's like all these other countries like Korea, you literally just walk in, get a test and you get your results back in no time. Whereas here, like I called uh, on Friday um, and I I went there multiple places and put my information multiple times. A lot of times I said, well, you get a text message or a callback with a a schedule, with an appointment. And I wouldn't get any callbacks. I finally found a place. So I made an appointment on Friday for a test this upcoming wednesday which is five days later and you're not going to get your results for another two to three days after that which means it's literally been seven to eight days 
since you want you since you thought I want to get a test. And then you're not getting the results for like eight days. In the meantime, you know, you're you have to work, you gotta take care of your family, you know, you wanna be respectful and not go out. But if you need to like, you know, buy food or groceries, you still have to go out. But you're doing this the entire time wondering, do I have it? Do I not have it? There's obviously been a massive breakdown in this country. And I think this is one of the big reasons that and people aren't wearing masks and they're stupid, <laughs> but I, I shouldn't <laughs> say that, but I'm just going to say, if you're not wearing a mask, you're stupid. Um, so <laughs> there's story. that and you can't get a freaking test. And I don't know yeah. why it's been, it's so hard after what, three to four months of living in quarantine, why it's still like this. So that is I don't my, know. That's weird. Cause my buddy, uh, he got his tests fairly simply. But I don't know if it's because it's a different city, a city by city, they yeah. do it differently or county by county. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't take him too long to to go and get tested. Maybe I just haven't called the right places, but I, I swear to you, I spent like two to three hours on Friday just looking, for, just trying wow. to get a test. But that's crazy. I don't know. Yeah, it's frustrating. Well, I'm glad you got it, though. So, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I feel fine now, um, you know, knock on wood, but we'll see. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but it's like every little tickle in the back of your throat, any sort of day where you're feeling tired, you're worried that it could be it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. Well, anyway, that was our uh, time to get on our soapboxes and chat to all of our listeners out there. Um, just thank you for tuning in once again. Uh, will and I will be back next week with a look at the film Selma, as well as a look back at the film The Godfather. Thanks once again. Please do stay safe, and we'll see you all in a week. Thanks. We'll see you next week. See you guys. Bye.